family. Join me in saying praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. One more time. Praise the Lord. Amen. Last spring um, in our nine o'clock class, the students and I, I remember um, on a particular Sunday, we were talking about ways in which the young people can get engaged in the life of the church. And we talked about one of those ways for students to be engaged in the life of the church is through worship. And particularly, we talked about, you know, wouldn't it be awesome, wouldn't it be nice for our students to have a student ministry worship team? And I remember after that meeting, I remember Abby coming up to me afterwards and and mentioning that she plays the keyboard and that she would be interested, but she didn't want to be the only student up here. Uh Um, which, you know, we all can understand. But, you know, I'm I'm just thinking about how, you know, we went from that day and that time and we were talking about it, discussing, and then to see the young people up here worshiping and engaged in the life of the church. Amen. Amen. You know, this is uh, certainly an answer prayer for me. You know, uh, maybe some of you all can relate, but I grew up in a time where, you know, I was told that, you know, children ought to be seen and not heard. Yeah, yeah. That uh, you only speak when you're spoken to. Amen. Do as I say, not as I. But man, you know, how important are their voices? How important are their talents and their abilities, the giftings that the Lord has given them? And they, and they get to share that with us. They get to share that and edify the body because their voices matter. Their gifts matter. It matters to God and it matters to this church. Amen. Amen. Well, today I'll be uh, sharing on the subject, loving yourself is focusing on the right source. Loving yourself is focusing on the right source. Um, but let me open this up in prayer. Father, uh, we're just so thankful for who you are. You are a way maker, Lord. You are at work, Lord. And, and Lord, I'm just honored that I get to join you in the work that you are doing, Lord, in the hearts of students, in the hearts of this church, Lord. Um, Use us, Father. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, Lord, be acceptable in your sight, Lord. May you be glorified and your people edified, oh God. We love you and we honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, family, I got a question. Raise your hand. Have you ever met one of those people who love to talk about the glory days back in high school or, or maybe in college? Have you ever met one of those people? You know, like the, the, the class president, the most likely to succeed, the basketball, football sensation, or maybe even the track star. But have you all ever met one of those people? Amen. Well, if you haven't, my name is Isaiah Marshall. I am the director of student ministry here at Strong Tower Bible Church, and I am one of those people. Amen. But check this out. I don't just talk about track and field and my experience just for the sake of talking about it, because I learned a lot of life lessons through the sport of track and field. Had some awesome experiences. I had some not so good experiences as well. But over the years, the Lord has used this sport of track and field to reveal some things that was in my heart. But he's also used this sport to show me more of himself. Amen. 
Now, you might be wondering, how did God use track in this way? Well, I'm glad you asked. And since you asked, I will go ahead and share a little bit about track and field. <laughs> so I want to share a not-so-glorious moment that the Lord used, I feel like. So it was the spring semester of my sophomore year of college. It was a Monday, and Mondays were typically our hardest days of the week. And I imagine it's because Coach felt like he needed to run the excess partying out of us, uh, out of them, not me, though. Uh, but nevertheless, my training partner and I, my teammate and I, we had some mile repeats where we had to run three miles, and each mile had to get faster. Now, for uh, my non-track and field people, um, I guess the best way I could put it is we had to do a lot of running. And I didn't like to do a lot of running. Raise your hand. How many of you all like to run? Okay. All right, you can put your hands down. All right, so how many of you all only run if something's chasing you? Okay, so we got quite a few of those. All right, so there's a third group. How many of you all dislike running so much that if something's chasing you, you're not even, you're not even gonna run, you're gonna stay and fight? How many of y'all? All right. All right, so I know who to hang around if something pop off then. But we had to run these three-mile repeats, and each mile had to get faster. And I can remember before we stepped on the track, our coach was like, if y'all don't hit these times, it's going to be a problem. He was one of those coaches. Like, he put pressure on you to perform. And so I remember the first mile, we were good. I mean, it was the slowest one. So we were good very confident. The second mile came around, and it was a different story. I remember running and thinking to myself, man, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. We got finished with the second mile, and the coach stopped us. He told us to stop. And this brother, he went over to the Gatorade cooler, that ice-cold Gatorade. He knocked the cooler over, and he told us to pack our bags and go home. Now, he wasn't talking about going to go to your dorms. This brother was talking about go home, home. And so I was discouraged. <laughs> and after he did that, he just calmly walked away and left. So my teammate and I, we looked puzzled. We, we were looking at each other very puzzled. And then he said, he was like, uh, well, at least we don't have to run that third mile. <laughs> I'm like, he was right, you know, understood. But man, I was, I, was, uh, I was frustrated. I was tired for running those two miles. I was discouraged for being kicked off the track. And I was mad because I was looking forward to that ice-cold Gatorade. But I remember leaving the track thinking to myself, maybe the people who told me I wasn't talented enough was right. Maybe I don't belong here. Maybe I should go home because I wasn't supposed to be in college anyway. All the negative voices I heard over the years began to fill my mind and I began rehearsing them over and over again. I was ready to give up and I was ready to go back to Detroit. As I left the track that day, I felt like I was watching hope fade into the distance. Like a hopeful future in the world that constantly told me that I was more likely to go to jail than to go to college. 
like broken promises from an absent father that causes his child's heart to flatline. You ever watched your hope fade into the distance? Grieve its part in your heart where it once resided and watch it get buried in other people's expectations. You ever felt like your future was playing hard to get like a high school crush? Treating you like you don't exist, like you never desired it, like you didn't give your life to acquire it. Is defeat a song you know all the words to? Prayed so hard but felt like God never heard you. Has giving up felt like the only option? You ever run and run towards your mark only to be told it's impossible, that you're not smart enough, that you're not talented enough? Does the limitless skies of possibility appear to have a ceiling in it? Where false narratives repeat like a broken record, you can't, you can't, you can't. My identity, who I was, was so connected to this sport that at the sign of failure, I began to question who I was. Because at the time, I believed that this sport was the only thing I was good at. It was the only thing I could offer to this world. I began to question my value and my purpose. You see, the problem is we are looking to the wrong source to shape our identity. We are looking to the wrong source to give us value. We are looking to the wrong source to give us purpose. Instead of looking to the world to find identity, value, and purpose, we should be looking to the hills. Because our uplook, what we focus on, affects our inlook or how we view ourselves. Because loving yourself is focusing on the right source. Many of us are not loving ourselves because we have allowed the wrong voices to shape who we are. And there are many voices we hear throughout our lives, and it appears that the, that the voices in this world that tells us that we're not good enough or other negative things that leaves us wounded is louder than the voices that tell us that we are good enough. See, there comes a time, a point in our lives when we have to answer some some challenging questions for ourselves. But when we think about it, they're not really that challenging if we are seeking the answers from the right source. You have to answer the question, who am I? And not only that, but many of us are trying to figure out where we belong, what gives us value, what is my purpose. If we are not careful, the world will try to answer these questions for us, oftentimes giving us the wrong answers. Until we are able to answer these questions for ourselves, we will continue to accept the answers that the world gives us. We have to look to the right source for our identity. We have to look to the right source for value and purpose. Where are you looking for answers? What sources are you using? So later that evening, after being kicked off the track, I walked into study hall, frustrated, doubting, and still mad about that Gatorade. <laughs> I noticed there was a guy at the check-in that I had never seen before. And this guy asked me, what's your name? I told him my name. My name is Isaiah Marshall. Then he asked me, do you know what your name means? I said, no, sir, but I'm just trying to check in. Then he asked me, when are you going to let go? 
And seeing the irritation on my face, he went on to say, the very things you are holding on to are preventing you from living worthy of such a powerful name. Now, I don't recall ever seeing this man again after this encounter. But later that evening, after a quick Google search, I learned that my name means the salvation of God. And he was right because I was living with the wrong focus. I was looking to the wrong source. I put so much of my identity in this sport. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe it's not a sport for you. Maybe for our young people it's grades or test scores. Maybe it's a friend group. Maybe for some of us it's our job. Maybe for others it's status and and wealth. Maybe it's image or outward appearance. There are many things in the world competing to define who we are. And if we're not careful, it's easy to lose ourselves attempting to define ourselves with things that are fleeting. If we're not careful, we can place so much of our identity in things that at the, moment of, at, that, at the moment of any sign of failure or things don't go our way, we begin to question our value and our worth. But I believe Scripture gives us a clear picture of how the world can distort our perception of ourselves. Let's turn to Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 27. Mark chapter 8. Starting at verse 27. Now, I believe it's fitting that the section of Scripture we're getting ready to read comes right after Jesus' interaction with the blind man at Bethesda. A blind man was brought to Jesus for healing. The Bible says that Jesus spit on the man's, on the man's eyes and placed his hands on him. And Jesus asked him, do you see anything? He answered and said, I see people that look like trees walking. Jesus gave him a a spitting blessing. (laughs) Then the text says that Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes, and he began to look intently. His sight was restored, and he began to see everything clearly. And I am asking God to restore our sight as it relates to identity, value, and purpose. So that we can see everything clearly. So that we can see that we have an adversary who steals, kills, and destroys. An enemy who roams around like a lion seeking those he can devour. So that we can see a world that wants nothing more than for us to take our eyes off the source of our identity, value, and our purpose. So Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 27, it says, Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. So Jesus and his disciples went out to to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Now, I read that Caesarea Philippi was a beautiful location But this beautiful location, this beautiful area was steeped in pagan religion, which means that it was common to worship a god, small g, or gods, other than the one true God. It was here in this city devoted to the worship of idols and man-made gods. Jesus asked his disciples concerning what was being said about him. He asked, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? 
Now, Jesus was not really concerned about what people thought about him, as many of us are. Jesus knew exactly what people were saying. Jesus was not asking because he was confused about his identity. Rather, Jesus asked the question, I believe, to show his disciples that the world will give us a false perception of who we are. The world will attempt to define who we are. And as scripture highlights, the world provided some incorrect answers. They say you are John the Baptist. They say you are Elijah. They say you are one of the prophets. They attempted to force their identity onto Jesus in the same way the world will attempt to impose its definition on us. Then Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter's responding, you are the Messiah. That was an important answer for them to know as they walked into this town. And it is an important answer for us to know as we go out into a world that is hostile towards Jesus in many ways and his followers. Well, who are we? It's time for us to look to the correct source. Because loving ourselves is focusing on the right source. What we focus on affects how we view ourselves and in turn affects how we treat ourselves. It also affects how we view the world and our place in it. Ephesians chapter, two, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, I think, answers or helps us answer this question as we look to the right source for our source of identity, our source of value, and our source of purpose. It reads, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. For we are his. What a beautiful phrase. We are his. This phrase should be etched into our hearts. We are his. This phrase should be meditated on day and night. We are his. This phrase should be on repeat in our minds. We are his. Everything we do, we are his. Everywhere we go, we are his. This phrase should be the soundtrack of our lives. We are his. Such a beautiful phrase. Then Paul goes on to tell us what being his means. For us to love ourselves, we have to focus on the right source. God is love. He enables us to love him dearly. It is because of him that we can love ourselves well. He is the source of our life. We are his. Three things that this text reveals about ourselves in our relationship to God, our source, is one, we are his workmanship. Two, we are his valued possession. And then three, we are his hands, feet, and mouth. We are his workmanship. We are his valued possession. And we are his hands, feet, and mouth. You ever created something and felt proud about it? Not proud in a simple way, but just pleased with the outcome. You know, sometimes I look at my kids, and although they try me sometimes, I say, man, these are three masterpieces because they were created by the master. Paul says that we are his workmanship. And what does it mean to be a, a workmanship? 
This word in the Greek, poema, which is where we get the English word poem. This word means that that which has been made a work of the work of the works of God as creator. The emphasis is on God as creator, as our creator, though sometimes we get that twisted. We think it's about us and how awesome we are. We think it's about us and how awesome other people say we are. We think it's about us and how beautiful we are. We think it's about us and how beautiful other people say we are. The emphasis is, is on God as creator. It's about the creator God. We are God's workmanship. We are his creation. And he says, place no other gods before me. Not even yourself. We belong to him. We are his. In the first five days of creation, God spoke and it came to pass. He was the original spoken word artist. But on the sixth day, God did something different. He reached down in the mud and he formed man in his own image. He then breathed life into his image bearers, his masterpiece. We now possess a spirit unlike the rest of creation. We see God's redemptive hand in creation. He takes the dirt and, and, and makes a new creation, a beautiful picture of the sinner who comes to Christ, becoming a new creation. Being redeemed by God, as scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. He is a master creator. And you and I are an epic poem written by the master poet that contains all the drama and beauty of life. This poem was tra tragically yet beautifully written, though sinfully lived. So he was brutally beaten and died so we can abundantly live if we place our faith in him. Because our lives are a part of God's bigger story. And God has written our future with his blood so that it's beautifully read. We are not our own. We have been bought with the price. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Now, before y'all throw a shoe at me, <laughs> a couple of Sundays ago, God showed me something watching the Cowboys versus the Buccaneers game. Now, I was obviously, I obviously enjoyed that game because, you know, the Cowboys won. But he showed me something through the kicker. Has God ever spoke to you in unusual ways? Now, the kicker struggled in this game. I read that he was the first kicker in NFL history to miss four extra points in the game. His brother was struggling. I remember hearing Peyton Manning say, Dallas should cut him at halftime. Don't even wait until after the game. Some of his teammates wanted him gone. Fans wanted him gone. Mind you. This guy had been one of the most consistent players on their team to that point. I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> While most was calling for him to be cut and replaced, there was a video I saw of one particular teammate encouraging him, C.D. Lamb. He said, we behind you, bro. He said, you're, you're good. Wow. He went on to say, you have bailed us out plenty of times. I promise you, we got you. In a time when he was hearing the boos, this kicker, 
In a time when he was discouraged and defeated, his teammates said, we got you. This world at times sees us as disposable. They are quick to throw us away, but God sees us as valuable. He meets us where we are and says, I got you. The world at times will kick us figuratively and unfortunately, literally, when we are down. And in our moment of weakness, the world tells us to toughen up, stop being weak. But we have a God that meets us in our weakness. A God that says, when you are weak, I am strong and my power is made perfect in your weakness. I got you. This world will admit that no one is perfect, but yet still expect perfection. It is no wonder why research shows that the anxiety in young people are increasing while their self-esteem is decreasing. This world tells us to be yourself, but then turn around and say, but don't act like that, though. Christian hip-hop artist KB says, the only way to deal with an unfree world is to become so absolutely free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. And we can only do that by focusing on the right source. The creator says, I got you. The father doesn't send his son Jesus to die for people he sees as disposable because he doesn't see us in that way. But he sends his son to die for people he loves and sees as valuable. He dies so that you and I can be who he created us to be. Paul said to the Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This world will judge us based on our performance, which is very subjective. The world would judge us based on our outward appearance, but God judges the heart. Paul says that we are created in Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things, all things have been created through him and for him. We are his and he got us being created in Christ. That is on the account of what he has done and suffered and by the influence and operation of his spirit. Our righteousness comes from the work of Jesus on the cross and is not based on our performance. Because unlike the world who judges us based on our performance, God says it's not about your performance. I didn't create you. Because, I mean, I didn't save you because of your good works, but I did save you for good works. That God has prepared beforehand. We are his hands, feet, and mouth. The Bible says that you and I are beautifully and wonderfully made. We are his workmanship created to bear his image. We are his valued possession. He died on our behalf because he loves us and values us. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared beforehand. In other words, we are his hands, his feet, and his mouth. I want to do something a little different. Um, And this is for the young people and this is for the, the older saints. But I want you to take a couple of seconds and write down in your notebooks. You can type it off in your notes section. 
But I want you to write two things that you appreciate most about yourself. Two things that you appreciate most about yourself. I don't know about you, but I can find myself spending so much time fixated on my flaws, fixated on the ways in which I fall short. You ever found yourself there? It is good to take the time to consider things we appreciate most about ourselves. This act is an act of loving ourselves. We don't point these things out to be conceited or self-centered. But we point these things out to recognize that what you wrote down is a gift from God and to whom much is given, much is required. It is a gift that he wants you to use to contribute to the flourishing of others. He has uniquely gifted us and provided talents for us in many ways that he wants us to use to edify his body. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says, says it this way. He says, an individual is not, has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. This is not just an individual mandate, but it is a challenge and a call to the church. The church who is a, a physical representation of, of, of our Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. He has gifted each and every one of us to be his hands that reaches out to the marginalized of society, to be the comforting touch for the broken, to clothe those who are naked and feed those who are hungry. He has gifted us to be his feet, to take the light of the gospel wherever we go, into your schools, into your sports, into your workplace, to go into all the world making disciples because beautiful is the feet of those who bring good news. He has uniquely gifted us to be his mouth, to proclaim good news to the poor, to to proclaim freedom for the captives that the blind will see and the oppressed will be set free, to remind the people of God who we are and whose we are. We are his and he got us. We We are his workmanship. Because creation only finds its identity in the creator. Being created in Jesus, we are his valued possession. He values us so much that he gave his life for you. We are his hands, his feet, and his mouth. We have purpose. God is at work all around us. He is working around us, in us, and he wants to work through us. He gives us value. He forms and shapes our identity. He defines us. We are his. And he gives us purpose. Dr. Tony Evans said, a a good work is a divinely prescribed action that benefits others in such a way that God is glorified. Because, again, we're not saved because of our good works. But we are saved for good works. Imagine if we took God serious. Imagine for a moment how your life would be if we focused on what God says about you and not what the world says about you. Imagine what your life would look like if you walked in the assurance that your identity is found in the creator 
What would your life look like if you walked in the assurance that you have value and worth because of the work of Jesus on the cross? God has a work for you to do. What would your life look like if you really committed yourself to that work? How would your life be be if you focused on, on being his hands, his feet, and his mouth? Can you imagine how different our community would be? Our city would be. Your state would be. This country around us would be. If we walked in his will and in his way, like our identity, our value, and our purpose was truly found in him. close who is Michael Jordan most will probably say the greatest basketball player of all time no shade to LeBron James fans (laughs) who is Denzel Washington most will probably say a great actor I consider him the goat of acting but that's just me who is Whitney Houston Most would probably say one of the greatest singers to grace the stage. If you would say Michael Jordan is a basketball player, Denzel Washington is an actor, and Whitney Houston was a singer, you would be wrong. For I would not have just described to you who they were. I would have only told you what they do. The greatest lie this world would have us to believe is to use your performance to give your identity. The greatest lie this world is telling us is to define ourselves by what you do. Amen. And we wonder why it is the primary way that people are defining themselves. When men get together, the first thing we want to do in conversation is ask the other, pe- the other person what they do for a living. We then figure that if they do a big job with the big title for big pay, they must be somebody. However, one's self-definition or identity is not to be rooted in your performance, because if so, then you will always, always, always misdefine ourselves. People go to great lengths to get an identity. They'll buy identities. People pay big money to change parts of themselves they're not satisfied with. To fix their looks in order to fix their identity. They seek higher paying jobs to fix their identity. They buy things they can't afford to impress people they they don't like to fix their identity. They pick friends so that that their friends can help elevate their identity. They seek the approval from folks they feel like is important to fix their identity. But here's the thing. Satan knows that if he can keep you from discovering your true identity in Christ, he can keep you from discovering who you are. In fact, you are a Christian by virtue of your relationship with Christ. And he, Satan, can keep you hostage. He can keep you from claiming your inheritance. He can keep you from victory because you cannot be liberated if you don't know who you are. You can't and won't love yourself well if you don't focus on the right source. You are his workmanship. You are his value possession. You are his hands, his feet, and his mouth. And the creator, the masterful poet, 
wants you to walk in that truth. So that every time you look in the mirror, you won't see your flaws, but you'll see a masterpiece. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So um, what we're getting ready to do, I'm going to go ahead and release uh, the students who are participating in the Day of the Arts and also our leaders, our adult leaders who are who is also serving in the Day of the Arts as well. Um, And then I'll kind of explain to us uh, what is getting ready to take place and invite you into what God is doing. So you may have heard over, you know, the last month or so that the student ministry is, uh, is having a Day of the Arts event, which is a fundraiser for us. So we're planning this overnight trip to Louisville, And we never want um, finances to be a hindrance as to why our students can't participate. And so this idea came uh, as a fundraising opportunity that we have to kind of help resource students. Amen. Amen. So directly after this service, once we let out, our students are in the fellowship hall and our leaders are in the fellowship hall and they'll be putting together a day of the arts. And a part of this day of the arts, we'll have some performances from our students and also some of our adult leaders. Um, so we'll have some performances, but we'll also have some displays, some visual art that some of our students have um, put hard work into. And so some of those display arts will be auctioned off, but some of them won't, and they'll let you know which ones will. Um, but my heart, again, as I, as I mentioned before I started, is that Students be engaged in the life of the church. When we talk about students developing, developing a, a faith that endures, a faith that sticks, one of the ways in which they do that is by engaging into the life of, uh, of the church. And so my prayer is, as I invite you all, I know some of you all have already registered, but for those who have not registered, um, we are taking registrations at the door, um, and we are asking that it is $10 per person, and uh, $40 per family. But we're asking you to just come, come out to support what the students are doing, what, what they put the, their hard work into doing, um, and just cheer them on Amen. as they display their gifts and the talents that, that the Lord has blessed them with. Amen? Amen. Amen. So again, there will be registration at the door, uh, $10 per person and $40 per family. Um, performances as well as displays. There will be lunch um, so we will provide food for everyone as well. Amen. So just come out. Let's love on our students and let's support what God is doing because he's at work. Amen. And he's invited us to join him in the work as he is doing in the lives of our students. Amen. Amen. All right. Can I, I'm going to close with a word of prayer. Father, um, we're just so thankful that you are our creator. Lord, we recognize that at times we, fall, we do fall short. And that we look to the wrong sources, Lord, to to give us our identity and and value and purpose, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that you forgive us, Lord, when we do that. And that we're able to repent from that, Lord, and turn back to you, the correct source, the true focus of our lives, our creator, the one who gives us our identity, our value, and our purpose. So, Lord, I pray that you constantly remind us that that we are yours and that you got us. 
And so, Lord, I pray that, um, again, that, you, that, that, that the hearts of those who are here um, just open to what you're doing. And I pray that, uh, that the words that you have given me to provide for us, Lord, because you're ministering to me, me as well, uh, that, is edify, that is edifying for your church, Lord. And so may we go out, may we walk in that truth that, we, that, that our identity is in you, that we are your value possession, and that we are your hands, your feet, and your mouth. And may we walk in that, Father. Hebrews 13 20 through 21, it says, now may the God of peace who brought you from the, the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 So come join us at the Day of the Arts. All right.